Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as we worship and fellowship together. To find out more about Waterbrook, go to www.waterbrook.church. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Turn to the Gospel of Luke and, and uh, let's uh, spend a little time studying the Word of God together. Let me see if I brought my glasses today. Otherwise, I'll just do it without my glasses, but... It's always good to make sure I'm seeing. Doug, I'll just see. Just give me two seconds here. Being the, there you go. Praise God. Yep, for glasses. Boy, good to have physical glasses. Better to have spiritual glasses. The Lord will let you see with his eyes what he's got to teach us. So let's go to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 26 and continue to study through the Christmas story, and the study that we're doing, you know, there is so much in the Bible, isn't there? But one of the things to recognize in the Bible when you're studying, especially if you're reading Luke, because Luke writes the Gospel of Luke and he writes the book of Acts, Luke has a couple of things that he's doing. One, he is ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was poured out at Pentecost in the book of Acts, and it was in the power of the Spirit the Gospel expanded to the nations. And so for Luke, he's a physical doctor, he's a physician, he traveled with the Apostle Paul, but he's got a view of the gospel going to the nations in the power of the Spirit around the person of Jesus Christ. And so when you hear, you got to have those kind of um, uh, perspectives on uh, the reading of the scripture because he has an agenda in writing both the gospel, he's giving an accurate assessment or an accounting of what happened in the person of Jesus, but his goal is to get you to go, right? So you just need to understand, his goal is to get you engaged in this great ministry and mission of the gospel. And so as you're listening to it, I want you to be listening in terms of the biblical narrative and the history and the fulfillment of Scripture. And at the same time, I want you to be thinking personally, as you are the church, and as you're part of the church, where is God calling you to respond to the gospel and live out the gospel in the power of the Spirit? And so the central figure is who? It's Jesus, right? And so that's where we're looking. We're looking at the revelation of Jesus and the accounting, but we're looking at it in the context of who Jesus is and how Jesus is the foundation and the focus of the mission of the church. So look at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, and just to give a context there, we just studied last week that um, Zacharias was told that he and Elizabeth are going to have a baby named John the Baptist, so now we're into the into the sixth month, we'll see here, but it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named uh, Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? Forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the, answer, the angel answered and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her whom was, who was called barren. You want to read verse 37 with me? It's a great verse to read. For nothing will be impossible with God. I'm just going to linger on that for a second before I read the next verse. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray together. And so, Father, this is your word and we are your people. And we do believe, dear God, that Jesus is who uh, the angel declared him to be. He is the Son of God. And he has come to save the world. His name is Jesus. Jehovah saves. He has come to deliver us from our sins. And he has been raised from the dead and now he reigns forever. And that by the power of the Holy Spirit, when Christ calls a person to follow him, he calls that person and empowers each one and the church with the Holy Spirit so that nothing will be impossible for God. And so, Father, take the impossibilities in our hearts right now and speak your truth into them by the power of the Spirit. Remind us, dear God, that with um, man, uh, things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So before we jump into this text of Scripture, let me go to the memory text this week because it is a good text to flow into this passage of Scripture because often our discouragement about what God can do in us is because of the circumstances in which we've found ourselves. So anybody know the, the text this morning? I'm going to put you on the spot. Anybody who knows it and is pretending they don't because they're waiting for someone else? Psalm 118. I was... Bennett, buddy, can you do it? I see your mom leaning into you, so blame her, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Stand up and give it a shot. All right, amen. So do you not feel at times that you are being pushed hard? And you're falling. Isn't it interesting that when the Lord calls his people, he does not call his people when his people think that they are together enough to follow him. He often calls us at our moments of greatest weakness and brokenness. At that moment where we realize in and of our own strength, we do not have what it takes. So listen to me this morning. If you feel empty of gas... Empty of grace this morning, you're probably in the best place this morning to hear the word of the Lord and to believe that the Lord can meet you in this. Now, what I want to show you, and I started last week in the Gospel of Luke, we need to think theologically and biblically when we're going through, not just sentimentally. This is not Charlie Brown's Christmas. 
This is the intervention of the divine God of the universe into the human experience in reality to rescue humanity from their sins, to deliver us from the curse of sin and death. That is what God is doing. He has come into the world. So as we think theologically or biblically about this text of Scripture, you and I need to stop and say, what are we being taught about God? What are we being taught about the third person, that's what I'm focusing on in this text, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Last week we saw this, the Holy Spirit helps you repent. Because repenting isn't something just for us to try harder, to dig deeper, to work more diligently to fix our lives. How many of you are really good fixers of your lives? Right? Don't you want to fix it? Don't you want to do it yourself without any help? Aren't we that kind of independent spirit? I'm just going to fix it without anybody knowing that I have major fixing to be done. doesn't work that way. But the Holy Spirit comes and he grants you repentance. And that's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to convict us of the truth of sin and judgment and, and, and you know, in the coming of the Lord that we're going to stand before him. The Holy Spirit brings conviction, but he also works on your affections. You know the Holy Spirit is working in you when you want to be something you never wanted to be before like Jesus. That's not a testimony to you. That's a testimony to him. And he comes and he, what does he do? He glorifies Jesus so that your affections are drawn to the person and work of Christ. Are you not glad that Jesus forgives sins? Are you not glad that he came for you, that he took on our brokenness and our humanity? Aren't you glad that he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief? Aren't you glad that he is who he is as he's been revealed so that he might meet you where you're at and your affections are drawn not to principles but to a person? Let me just reiterate that. The purpose of the gospel is not to make you try harder and simply long to be a better person. That's not the purpose of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel is to make you fall in love with Jesus. And that falling in love with Jesus, you will not want to dilly-dally in sin anymore. You do not, will not want to just capitulate into those things that have held you. You have higher calling. You have greater hopes. There are glorious expectations for the people of God, and we are a pathetic bunch. And so that's the first part of it. The Holy Spirit grants you repentance. What we're going to see today is the Holy Spirit also helps you with obedience. And I want us to think about that this morning in the calling of Mary because you realize the Christian life is far more than stopping sinning, right? The Christian life is far more glorious than simply stopping sinning. So let me give you a little quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you may have read some of Bonhoeffer's works. His most famous book is called The Cost of Discipleship. No, if you don't know anything about him, one of the last acts of the Nazi regime when they were being defeated by the Allied forces was to execute Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He made it all the way through the war, imprisoned, and one of the last acts for, against him was he was hung and executed um, at the end of his life. Um, so he died as the war, Second World War was ending. But he was a man who stood uh, for, and he, you, know, so, you know, partly when you think about people like this, when people are under the fires of evil, they sometimes get clarified on a lot of things. And so he, he spoke clearly about the cost of discipleship his theology wasn't perfect but he was pointed to the lord and he was useful and he's been useful since his death often 
people who die for their faith become more powerful in speaking to the living than the living, and he's one of these people. But this is what he says. Being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing the will of God. So would you just think about that for the, this morning? Because this is where I want us to go in the story of Mary. Mary is going to be called way out of her comfort zone. Let's not just sentimentalize this. This is a godly woman being told that she's going to be publicly pregnant. And so she is coming into a call. The, the call of God is going to come upon her. And obedience for her, the call of God, responding to the call of God is going to be costly for her. And you see it in the reading of the text. That's what I want to say. So this is what you and I need to see. Being a Christian is not, this is what a lot of people think Christianity is. People think Christianity is stopping sinning. That's not what Christianity is. That's, that's like saying stop drinking poison, right? Stop, you know, cut yourself off from the things that are destroying you, your life, your family, your relationship with God. That's what it's up. But that's not living yet. That's just stopping sinning. That's the end of death. Living is beginning to live what you've been created to live for. Living is following God into the, the, to the, to the, uh, the cause of his kingdom. Nobody here at Waterbrook this morning has any need to live a pointless life. You have a calling that is glorious. You, have a, you are a, a kingdom of priests, right? You've been called by the Lord to declare the excellencies who called you out of darkness into his glorious light. Our insignificance is simply our ignorance, right? When you start to think, boy, life is boring and mundane, we have just taken our eyes off the master. And so here's what we need to see. Let's go to the next slide there, hon. Um, what I want you to see is then that one of the challenges that you and I face when it comes to following Christ is not simply I have to get rid of my own sin. Let's be really honest. We're afraid to follow. Amen. Obedience is challenging, right? And here's what I want you to do. You got that little sheet I gave out to you. One of the things I want you to ponder today as we're thinking about this text of Scripture is I want you to think about where God has been calling you to obedience. And for some of you, it may be that you have been living a, a life of indifference towards Jesus. For some of you, the call is to Christ. Some of you have been on the fence about whether or not you're being a Christian. Some of you have been going to school and nobody knows that you love Jesus. But God has been calling you. And, and you know the Lord is calling you out of mediocre. mediocre. I, so part of my experience, some of you know this, my teenage experience is the Lord called me as a teenager and I can't stand the thought of being ashamed of Christ as a teenager. That's one of my pet peeves. Um, because when the Lord got a hold of me and he changed my life, I thought, I don't care, because in my hometown, I was the only guy my age that was a Christian. And so I had to make the decision, but I fell so in love with Jesus at the age of 13 that I, said, I went to bed at night praying, said, I, you know, I'm just as messed up as anybody else, but this is the one thing I want to live for you, Lord. And he began to answer that prayer and work that prayer. That had a lot of intimidating things, so, so on. So some of you, it may be a call. Let's, let's stop being a mediocre, half-hearted, hidden, cowardly Christian. Let's get out there. Let's be open about our faith. That may be for some of you at work or going home. For some of you, it may be a call in some area of life and marriage. You know, some of you just know that God has been asking you to step up in your marriage 
to act in a way to change an attitude to serve in a way that you've been struggling with. It hasn't been repenting that's made you fearful. It's been obeying, right? Sometimes it's a dad, right? You just, you're, just af- you're afraid to lead your family because your wife's better at it than you are, right? You're afraid to pray openly or to read the Bible with your family, those kind of things. But the Holy Spirit's been stirring you. Spirit's been prompting you to go there. So there's those fears there that come into your life where obedience could be. I believe today some of you are being called to global missions. Amen. So here's what I've been trying in my mind as we've been processing who we are as Waterbrook to try to keep it really simple. Try to keep it simple. We're not a big church. We're not going to have mega church everything. You're not going to have every flavor and every ministry and everything you want met at Waterbrook because we just can't do it. And our goal is not to be here seven nights a week when there's a world out there that needs Jesus. So here's what I've been praying about. I think Sunday mornings are crucial. I think we need to be here worshiping together with the people of God. We need to be around Jesus. We need to be around the Word. We need to be worshiping together. Secondly, I would like to see our small groups um, get established. We're praying about that. We're trying to encourage and plan that forward for the simple reason that I believe that what happens in community, in small groups, is where we actually talk through what we're learning on Sunday and what we're living on Sunday in each other's lives. It's very anti-American, very anti-Western to actually get close enough. I, and so, you know, for some of us, it's just thinking, I don't have any real relationships with other Christians. I'm not saying you need to know 100. You should know three and you should talk about Jesus. And we want to serve that. We're not, this is not going to be the guilt thing. But that can be intimidating for some people because you could be introverted, right? And, and you, could, you could think, you know, I'm not sure what I'll say. I don't know what I'll do. It's the fear of the unknown. It's like trying to get people on Sunday morning to go downstairs into Diana's kitchen, right? The most intimidating thing for newcomers is to go down those stairs because who knows what's going to eat you on the bottom, right? <laughs> it's the alligators down there. That's, that's, just, that's how we are by nature. By nature, we want to be with people, but we don't want to be with the wrong people, or we don't want to be in a situation that makes us uncomfortable. So we're trying to simplify things and saying, if we can help people, you know, even in the advancement of the gospel, and this is part of, so we want to have Worship on Sundays, we want to have people together, whatever that small group thing looks like, where you're speaking and praying over one another's lives, and then we want to be involved in missions. We, we want to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so usually that's where the struggle is, right? It's loving and worshiping God, it's, it's in our homes, in our families, in our relationships, learning how to walk that out, and then it's having a concern that the nations know Jesus. People different than us love him. And so, you know, we're seeing, that's our, one of our, part of our sayings, to see, savor, and to share the all-surpassing worth of Christ. So for some of us, that's the intimidating thing. I'm afraid to go public with my faith. I'm, trying to, I'm afraid to be personal with somebody else. I've been burnt before, right? That's what we do. We just kind of, we end up, because of the nature of sin, that's what, the, that's what the enemy wants. He wants us to be alienated from one another. So here, I want to show you this text of Scripture and let you think about it this morning, just about how the Holy Spirit helps us grow together and helps us go into obedience. So not just repentance, but to obey God. So look at this verse in Luke chapter 1, verse 28, where the angel comes to Mary and greets her. Seems like a rather simple statement totally freaked Mary out right? If you read the text carefully, it says in verse 28, and the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said what? Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. You know what? I, 
I try to tell you that almost every Sunday. I try to tell you that actually every Sunday as the people of God. I try to greet you in the name of the Lord. I try to tell you that in Jesus you are under the favor of God. Isn't that the great news of the gospel? That God sees you in Christ and he's favorable for you. So, I, so this is what the angel, all he's saying is to Mary in one sense, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Is it not good news to you that the Lord's with you? That he'll never leave you nor forsake you? Do you not take great comfort in all the uncertainties and the perils and the twists of life? It's a comfort to us to know that. What is Mary's response when the angel... Now, let me be honest. If an angel showed up, you'd probably pass out. So I want to be fair to the text. It's not a person showing up. It's an angel. That might cause you a bit of consternation. So let's be fair. But it tells us she was disturbed, not particularly because it was an angel, but she was disturbed by the greeting. And so I just want you to think about that. Look at verse 29. But she was greatly troubled. The word here for greatly troubled... Um, it's, it's the only place in the New Testament that this word is used, and it really has the idea that she was disturbed inside. So this is an inward thing. And then it says um, that she was greatly troubled, and it's a word that sounds similar, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So what's going on with Mary? Is Mary a godly woman? If you read through the text, it tells us that she's a godly woman that loves the Lord. So Mary's a godly woman, and an angel shows up. If you're a godly Jewish woman who knows the scriptures, when an angel shows up, what do you think? It's a big deal. She is at a dramatic moment in biblical history. And so her theological self, women, you should be theologians. You should know your Bible. You should know the stream of redemptive history. You should be able to, right? It's not just the, the pastor up front. I believe some, of the, some of the most helpful people here at Waterbrook are women who speak the truth and, and, and speak the, the gospel to me on a regular basis, which I'm thankful for. And so Mary, as a godly woman, reads the scriptures, and as she, or, or as she listens to the voice, she reflects upon the scriptures and what happens on the inside. We don't get a timeline on this. It's not like she went off for four days and says to the angel, could you just hold here for a second? Because I need to go to my biblical concordance and research all the prophecies of the Old Testament. What Mary knows is that something is up. And when God says he's for you, that doesn't mean he's done with you. He's just beginning. Grace is the beginning. Favor is the beginning of the plan and the purpose of God. So this is what I put here. The challenge that many of us face is to respond to the clear call of God upon our lives. It's not his disapproval that challenges us, but his acceptance. Isn't that interesting? If God says to you, as an individual, you're mine. I love you. Well, you know how they often say it? God loves you and he has what? A wonderful plan for your life. Is that not enough to freak some of you out? Now, why do we freak out? Right, we lose control. We freak out because we think that we have watched in biblical history that when God calls someone, he doesn't call them to ease and comfort. Often he has called his people into difficult circumstances. Often he's called into suffering and sacrifice. The call of God, the favorable call of God is not a call to comfort. Ultimately, it's to have God as his comfort. 
Am I fading here, or is there? You can hear me going in and out. I probably have a dying battery. Thank you. So the call of God on our lives is not simply to, to comfort and ease, but it's the, the eternal hope of the gospel and to the kingdom of God. What do we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you pray that last prayer, that's a prayer of commitment. Because you can't say, let your will be done on earth, except in Dibley. Except in my life. Now let me give you another Bonhoeffer quote here. Um, from, this is from The Cost of Discipleship. Bonhoeffer says, when Christ calls a man, how does he call him? He bids him come and die. Why did Bonhoeffer say that? Not simply because he died in seeking to be faithful to righteousness under the Nazi regime and stand up against Hitler. It's not the only reason why, because he read the call of Jesus. If you want to be my disciples, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so this is the challenge for many of us. And Mary, here's what I want to say about Mary. I think when you read... Um, about Mary, especially in Luke's gospel, you don't get a whole... Mary's not a public person. She's not just standing there saying out loud. The, the actual language means she was inwardly troubled and she was inwardly processing. What kind of people process inwardly? Introverts, right? Now, I believe that when God calls introverts to follow them, he doesn't make them extroverts. He makes them available. That's the difference. He doesn't make an introvert an extrovert, extrovert. He makes an introvert faithful to the call of God. In fact, even with Mary, I don't sense with Mary that Mary has a whole big public ministry. She's just got a painful one for a while, right? And, and let me just show you a couple texts of Scripture here. Go to Luke chapter 1, verse, um, or Luke chapter 2 a couple of times where you'll see the, the nature of Mary. Luke chapter 2 and verse 19, when the, uh, we're talking about this in prayer this morning, when the shepherds come and they, uh, they uh, rejoice over the announcement that Jesus was um, uh, the Messiah born in Bethlehem, lying in a manger. Verse 19, it said, Mary did what? She treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then, of course, later on when Jesus was a young man and he ran off and he, they had to find him and he was in the temple worshiping and he said, did you not know I had to be in my father's house? Look what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 51. And he went down with him and came to Nazareth and was submissive to him and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Where does Mary do a lot of her stuff? In the heart. She's on the inside. She's a processor, a ponderer, a treasurer. Any of you like that? How many of you are ponderers? You just process inwardly. You think it through. You're weighing it out. You're wondering what it means. So that's, that's instinctive in one sense to Mary. So the angel comes and speaks to Mary, and he says, Mary, you are highly favored, right? The Lord is with you. And she goes, oh, boy. She's thinking, what does this mean? And the language means that the engines kicked on on the inside and she began to say, God, what do you have in store for me? 
So I, I begin there this morning by saying some of you, when I ask you, what is God calling you to in obedience to him? You already have been pondering something. I want you to think about that. I want you to name it. The Lord, if you're a child, has been calling you to obedience and inside you've been wrestling with the Lord. And your problem in your heart is not simply that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, which we all are. Your problem is, do I have what it takes to follow where he calls? Do I have what it takes to follow where he calls? And the answer is, you do if you have Jesus. You do if you have Jesus Christ. So let's go to the next slide here and look at Gabriel's answer. What does Gabriel say? Go in Luke chapter 2, right, or Luke chapter 1, and see where he says these words to Mary. It says in verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled. And in verse 30, it says, And the angel said to her, What? Do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. Okay, I'm not sure that that immediately solves her problem because that's what started her problem. But he begins to minister to her, and what he shows her is that obedience is a glorious opportunity to experience the blessing of sharing in the eternal power and purpose and power of God. That's what he does in the text. Basically, what he does with Mary is he says to Mary, let me tell you two things. Jesus is worth it and the Spirit will work it. Jesus is worthy, and the Spirit will work in and through you. You have found favor with God, but you are not doing God a favor. You have found favor with God so that God is going to do you a remarkable favor, and that remarkable favor is to let you share in his power and purpose. Do you not want that as a child of God? Do you not want God to work in your life? And so the only way that I can respond to the prodding of the Holy Spirit to follow God and obey God and to listen to God is to get my eyes on Jesus and to see Jesus for who he is, because it will be the surpassing worth of Jesus that will enable me to lay aside all my fears and anxieties. Worship is the answer to anxiety. Worship is the answer to indifference. The answer to struggling in the stagnant resistance of my own soul is not for me to try harder to dig deeper and to get myself to January 1st where I can set a whole new set of New Year's resolutions. The answer for me is to realize two things. I'm a sinner. I am weak. I have issues. I struggle. But Jesus is still worth it. And number two, in all my weariness and brokenness, I don't have to muster the strength because the Spirit has been given to make real in me what is impossible for me. Nothing is impossible with God. So I'm sure some of you walked in here this morning feeling the impossibility of life. Anybody? Okay, you don't have to raise your hand. But, but don't you feel that at times? You just think, I don't have, the t- I don't have what it takes. You just, you just see life. You see the schedule. You see the demands. You see the opposition. You feel your weakness. It's like this wall, and you think, how am I ever going to get there? And the answer is not, how are you ever going to get there? The question is, God, where are you going to take me in the middle of all of this? For our God never sleeps nor slumbers. He's always at work. So let me, let you, can, I, can I get you just to pause? Let me pastorally get you to pause and to name that fear.
in your life. Just name that anxiety for you. Name that struggle, that challenge for you. And just pause, and let's just, let's just take it and put it on a shelf. You can look at it if you want. But let's bring, let's bring the focus onto Jesus Christ. And then let's listen to what the angel does to Mary, because Mary's troubled. She's not troubled by your sin. She's troubled by your calling. Obedience. So name that thing and look at it. And then let's look what the angel Gabriel says. Verse 31, he tells Mary, you found favor. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. <laughs> Mary, do you understand? The hope of the people of God for the millenniums is now coming. And he's not coming to some superhero spiritual. He's coming to Mary. Now he's coming to single, unmarried Mary. He's coming to, she's going to say what? How can this be? I'm not married. I'm a virgin. How is this going to happen? But she's not asking an unbelief like Zacharias, you know, when he said, how's this going to be? And he had to be silent until John the Baptist was born. This is, this is the question of a believer. Okay, how? How are you going to take me and do this? And he's putting her in an impossible situation. Are you in an impossible situation? He's putting her in a publicly embarrassing situation. What's the last thing an introvert wants? Attention. What's the last thing a godly, chaste, careful, Jewish, young teenager, she's a teenager, wants? She wants to be looked, the last thing she wants is anybody to see her and then to see her as the opposite of everything she values. And God's going to say, Jesus is worth it, right? Mary, or Mary, he says, you are being called to carry the name Jesus. And you're called to bear the shame of Jesus. You're going to bear him, and you're going to bear the shame. But it is possible because of me. It's not you, it's me. So just look again. We ask after the question. Let me go. Let's go to the next slide. I just want to put this quote. Uh, David Livingston was a missionary in the 1800s, and he made the decision um, to go. Part of part of what was driving his mission was he wanted to end slavery, and he thought by being going into Africa that um, he would be able to go up through first the Zambezi River. He went up from the south, and then he was up in the in the Nile Delta area trying to find the source of the Nile. And uh, so he spent his life in the middle of the 1800s there. And, um, but, um, uh, you know, he, he's, I'll read you the, I think I have the extended quote. You see a little bit of the quote. He was interviewed. He, you know, he became legendary. You know, do you know the line? Those of you who are older, Dr. Livingston, I presume, you know, when they finally found him, he had been missing for six years. 
out there. Um, but I'll read you a longer part of this quote where, it said, where he wrote, he was talking at Cambridge University on one of his trips back before he went back to Africa, and uh, that's where he ended his life. He died in Africa. But um, he said, for my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I've made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in healthful activities, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word in such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Now, that's what he was Oh, and he goes on later on. He said, rather, it is what? It's a privilege to carry the name of Christ. Here's a guy who left all he had, left his family, suffered greatly. If you hear the story, is what? How many times he got sick? How many times he had to be rescued? He actually was against the slave trade, but had to be rescued by slave traders a few times. He actually saw people who had been slaughtered by slave traders when he was making his way through Africa, and they had to rescue him. The slave traders rescued him. He ran out. He got his, all his medicine. He's a doctor, but he got his medicine stolen. So he ended up with malaria and ended up being sick. All of these things go on. And so people would interview him and say, you know, what a sacrifice you've made for the God. And he said, are you kidding me? To be inside the will of God, to serve the king of kings, to be committed to him. And so that's why we, when we come back to this text, we'll just go to the next slide and let's see what the angel says to Mary. He says his identity. Who is this baby? You shall call his name Jesus. What does that mean? He will save his people from there. He's the deliverer. He's the promised Messiah. He goes, what a, what a marvelous thing. He says, you're going to bring the Savior of the world who will rescue people from their sins. He will be great and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. You will be, they, people will look at you like you're a pregnant teenager, but you're not just a pregnant teenager. You are carrying the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. His identity, his glory, and his destiny. This is David's promised king. And he, the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there'll be no end. I know what this meant for me when it began to resonate with me that I was going to make the choice of being public with my faith, really public with my faith. And I, as I contemplated this, I thought, what's the big deal about being public with my faith about Jesus when Jesus is doing all and has done all that he has done and will do for me. So the answer in the heart to our fears of obedience is simply to answer one question, is he worthy? Is he worth it? Do people need their sins forgiven? So is, it, is he worth being open and committed to, to bear the name and bear the shame? Is he worthy? He, is, is he coming back in glory? One day and we will have no more sickness, no more sin, no more grief, no more death. Is he worthy to take it all away, to take the curse and the condemnation? Is he not worthy? He's worthy. That's the thing. You will not be turned to obedience by trying harder and trying to do the guilt manipulation. The thing that will move you is that Jesus is worthy. And when he works in your life and he ministers to your life, that he will transform your life in such a way that you will think it is not a... what. You know, Spurgeon, I remember reading this when I was a young guy. Spurgeon, writing the line, he said, never, st he was writing to lectures to his students, to pastors. He said, never step down to be a king. 
It's always been in my head. You have a holy, honorable calling, and he is worthy. So that's the first part of it. He is worthy. But the second part is, you know, Mary says, how? Right? How can it be? I'm a virgin. I'm a, I'm a 13-year-old girl. Look at verse um, 35. And the angel said what? The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. How is it going to happen? The Holy Spirit. You're called to bear the name and bear the shame. How am I going to do it? The Holy Spirit. This is a, this is a God thing. It's not, this is not a man thing. Go where God's called you, to do what he's called you to do. With man, it's impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. So that's what i got to say to you this morning. If, if, if you think, man, I don't know if I can be open. Nobody else in my house is, is a Christian. I don't know if I can be open. Well, of course you don't know if you can. But with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. For you, it might be being faithful in your marriage. I don't know if I can do it. Well, for some of you, it may be to go to an unreached people group. And you think, that's just not me. But if the call of God's upon you, well, there's an old saying that um, God will never lead you where his grace cannot keep you. He will always give and supply what he requires. So, what the angel says is the Holy Spirit's going to do it, Mary. And then the angel says, the proof is, go look at your cousin Elizabeth. And you know that there's, there's this really one time in the New Testament, and we'll study this later, there's one time in the New Testament where Mary acts much like an extrovert. And I think women can be like this in a way that's intuitive when they're with one another. When they meet someone they love who has experienced the grace of God in their life, they kind of get... They kind of get on the same note, emotional note. And Mary, when she realizes that Elizabeth, who is older and is beyond childbearing years, is bearing a child as a miracle, that's the end of the quiet introversion. <laughs> and one of the best songs in the Bible is Mary's, mag what we call the Magnificat, where she starts singing praises because God is merciful to the weak. Some of us, that's our great song. When we get together and somebody comes in on a Sunday and says, I thought I was going down and God lifted me up, right? I was down in the mud and mire and God lifted me up and he put my feet on a, a solid rock and he put a new song of praise into my lips. That's a glorious thing to come into worship and in our brokenness hear somebody else rejoice. I was broken last week, but this week I'm in the strength of the Lord. I'm broken this week, but I needed to hear that you were in the strength of the Lord. With man, no no can do. But with God, we've only just begun, Waterbrook. We have only just begun. And the principle, nothing is impossible with God. So there are all kinds of quotes I have on here. I don't know if I have any more. My wife will have to tell me. Oh, yeah, this is, my, this is the last quote. Um, this is where... Um, this is Mary's response. Basically, what does Mary say at the end of this? That's right. Mary says, okay, let's do it. 
do whatever you want with me, right? Go, go, to, go to this passage in, in Luke chapter 1 at the end, and it's uh, where we were reading, verse 38, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So this is David Livingston. David, David Livingston um, said this in the middle of his suffering, in the middle of his ministry, he said, God, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me, and sever any tie in my heart except the tie that binds my heart to you. Isn't that a powerful statement? So when you're going into where God's calling you and you know he's prompting you, that's the prayer to pray when he says, I will be with you. I will not abandon you in that trial. I will give you strength to go through it. You look at God and you go, okay, God, I'm your servant. Do whatever you want with me. Just don't leave me to my own devices. Don't let me go. Never let me go, God. And he won't. Isn't that his promise when he sends us out? And so, you know, um, I want you to think this morning, and you can take that sheet that I gave you if you want to do that. If you want us to pray for you, you can write out, and we'll pray for you about that. Or if you want to talk to us about any of those things, if you want to give your life to Christ, maybe, um, maybe some of you are called the global missions. Maybe some of you, here's one of the things I want to challenge you. I want you, I really do want to challenge you to think about opening up your life to other people. And I'm not going to define that um, too tightly this morning except to say that if you look, I just, I just read an article by Tim Keller where he talked about the advancement of the gospel in the early church. And um, he really spoke, Keller was talking about if you look at the history of the gospel, even beyond the end of the book of Acts, into the earlier church, um, he gave the example for of St. Gregory that... Um, Gregory and his brother were traveling, and they were um, going to study in law school, but they ended up in Jerusalem, and when they were in Jerusalem, they heard about the renowned theologian Origen, and so they thought, let's go listen to Origen, let's go be taught by him for a little while, so he and his brother went, and it was a turning point for him in his life, they met Origen, and Origen wasn't just a great mind and a great theologian, but he was just a great host, and so he would take him out for coffee, and not coffee, I don't know what they drank back then, but he would, he would have them in for meals. He actually was personally engaged with them. And that transformed their whole, the whole direction of his life. I'm pretty convinced that the future of our mission as Waterbrook will be to the extent that we worship together and then we open up our lives relationally the rest of the week. That we sit down, we invite into our homes, we go for coffee, we begin to discuss and converse what matters in our hearts with one another. I think that's how the gospel advances. And so as I'm challenging you to think about this and all the busyness and the demands of life, let me just pull you back and say, where's the Lord speaking to you? And then think about two things. I'm going to ask you these questions. I just want you to think about it. Is he worthy? Secondly, will he work it? You won't move forward out of fear. 
if you're going to do it in your strength. You will struggle. You will have to come back to this every day. You'll have to get out of bed on Monday and ask two questions of yourself. Is he worthy and is all, are all things possible with God? You'll have to ask yourself that at noon on Monday. You'll have to ask that when you're making your priority list. You know when you're exhausted on Friday and you have no time for anybody or anything anymore? And, you're, and you, you will have to get up on Saturday morning and ask the question, what is the call of God upon my life? With my kids or with my wife or with my singleness or with my work or with my neighbor, what's the call of God? And ask myself two questions. Is he worthy? And if he's called me, will he work it? If you answer those two things, your life will change. No, he will change your life. He is worthy. Isn't he worthy? So I'm going to ask you to just take a moment. I'm going to pray with you. Why don't you pray? Why don't you do a merry? Take a, have a merry moment. Ponder these things deeply in your heart. Let them, um, if you need to be disturbed, just, it's okay to be disturbed. We're all disturbed. But let the Spirit of God speak. If you want to fill out one of those sheets, we're going to sing and the, the uh, ushers will take it forward. Yeah, if you don't fill out a sheet but you do want to pray, just reach out to the office. Or reach out, reach out to somebody that you know and trust that, that believes that he's worthy and that he'll work it. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Would you like to give your life to Jesus Christ today? Would you like to give, open up your life to others, to love and serve, to share? Are you called? This can be the one I, I feel led of the Holy Spirit to ask today. Are you willing to go to the nations and share Christ? We're praying. We're praying that Waterbrook would send missionaries to the ends of the earth. So I think if we pray, I have to ask. Let's pray. So, Father, you're worthy. Your son is worthy. You have said he is worthy. The angels in the book of Revelation sing he is worthy. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. But more than that, dear God, because he reigns and because he lives and because the Holy Spirit's been poured out, there is nothing that is impossible with God. So things that are impossible with men are not impossible. You can change families. You can change marriages. You can change lives. You can change people groups. Nothing's impossible. So Heavenly Father, God of the impossibility, come and do in my heart what only you can do because Jesus is worthy. Hear our prayer. We bless you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Celebrating and savoring, dear God, his love and his his salvation, his plan for us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. And so now, dear God, I pray in the name of Jesus, be with your people. As we go out from this place, fill us, dear God. Make us strong in your grace. Renew us daily in the 
love and the hope and the power of the gospel and cause us, dear God, to go where you call us to go, to be who you call us to be, and to do what you call us to do, all for Jesus. He is worthy. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great day today in the Lord. God bless you as you go. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about Waterbrook Christian Church located in Victoria, Minnesota, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed day.